We're going to uh, think a bit this morning about the journey uh, in discipleship. Uh, and uh, one thing I, uh, just to uh, immediately uh, um, uh, remind, remind myself of an announcement I forgot earlier, it's just to say that on the second or the first Sunday in December next week, uh, in the evening we have a guest service, uh, and that is an opportunity to look at the truth about Christmas. Uh, we will be thinking of some of the myths around Christmas. We'll be thinking of how uh, people easily swallow the myths about Christmas, and we want to give people an understanding of why exactly Jesus came. And in the middle of that, Sarah is going to be interviewing uh, one of our members, Sarah Morrow, just about her journey to faith in Christ. So uh, when you see our services advertised, could you see part of your discipleship as not only supporting the services, but thinking whom you might invite to come. Uh, and uh, next Sunday uh, evening would be one of those opportunities just to think more uh, evangelistically uh, and about the gospel and the reason that we're here. Anyway, the journey of discipleship, which is something that those who have professed faith and have uh, come to join us by transfer from other places have begun, uh, some recently and some some time ago. Uh, I'm not a particularly frequent user of public transport, uh, but uh, I understand from others that bus and train journeys in other developed parts of the world are more of a Premier League experience than here. Some of you might say, compare bits of Africa with here, and you think we're Premier League. But anyway, someone traveling in uh, Orlando, Florida, saw this notice on a bus. It read this. When you exit the bus... Please be sure to lower your head and watch your step. If you miss your step and hit your head, please lower your voice and watch your language. <laughs> Thank you, it said. Journeys, whether on foot or by bike or bus or train or boat or plane, can be filled with drudgery but can be filled with many exciting experiences. Those of you who have had to spend hours in an airplane terminal waiting for a delayed flight or whatever will understand the drudgery, but for others there have been many wonderful discoveries and journeys that last in the memory for a lifetime. I personally love using the idea of journey as the most meaningful metaphor of the Christian life. In my own journey, there have been times of joy and laughter, times of tears and anger, times of worry and stress. There are difficult terrains to navigate, deserts to cross sometimes, wonderful oases of calm and abundance, beautiful horizons and skies and beaches and hills, mountains and lakes to enjoy and to marvel at. There are wide roads to race down, at, at the speed limit, obviously, uh, and there are narrow roads to navigate and dead ends sometimes forcing people to retrace their steps and me to retrace mine. I wonder how many cul-de-sacs you and I have gone into in the journey of our Christian faith. But what keeps me going is the fact that as a child, I began a journey that birthed a commitment in me for all of this life, and I believe for all of eternity. I often say that I gave the little I knew of myself to the little I knew of God. And as we rejoice in welcoming new people 
as full communicant members of the church, some, as I said a moment ago, not long on the journey of the Christian life and others who have been on the path for years, I want to encourage you all to think of life as a journey and the Christian faith as a journey. The Bible, in fact, is filled with journeys. Uh, Some of the most famous are Abraham journeying from Ur of the Chaldees to the Promised Land. Perhaps the most famous blockbuster film made about it and so forth was the journey of the Israelites back from slavery in Egypt to the Promised Land that involved so many people, well over a million people, a journey that was so climactic that it was called the Exodus. But the greatest journey of all will be read by many over the Christmas period, especially from the Gospel of John. Look, for example, at John chapter 12 and verse 46. And this is what Jesus said about his journey, about his mission in life. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in the darkness. I have come into the world. My journey into the world was that I might come as a light shining in the darkness, a light pointing people to the way ahead, a light pointing people to the truth, a light of salvation, a light of glory, a light pointing people to relationship with God. Jesus said, I've come as that light. I've journeyed into the world of that light to bring the end to darkness and to bring hope. That's why the candle is burning, to remind us the light of Christ coming into the world. And the amazing journey of Christ from the Father into our world, a journey through his teaching and preaching and miracles, a journey through suffering and death and resurrection and ascension, returning to the throne room of heaven, is the most incredibly important journey that any of us could ever think about. And it is the most important journey ever undertaken. What John and the gospel writers want to tell us is that apart from the great journey of Christ, our lives don't really go anywhere. Apart from the grace and the mercy and the power and the love of Jesus, our lives really just go round in circles without purpose or understanding. And what we understand now is that in the light of the great journey undertaken by Jesus on our behalf, our lives can be a journey into God. Our lives can have purpose, a purpose to know and to love and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Our lives have a destination, which is heaven, which will include all those who have died in Christ and gone before us, but above all, our destination is to be in the place where God dwells and to be in his presence. I often fantasize about heaven. I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me, but I I often think, what will it be like? Will we be walking down heaven main street and see Moses coming out of the flower shop with a, a bunch of flowers for someone? Will we bump into Deborah? Is sitting under a palm tree and teaching people the great truths of the faith? Will we bump into the Apostle Paul, maybe in the market square, uh, 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 preaching and glorifying Christ? Will we bump into some of the great saints of the past, the childhood heroes that I had growing up? Uh, and uh, I was just thinking I saw a, a production from the Billy Graham Evangelization Association. Billy Graham is now 97 years of age. Uh, I've never met him, 
I've heard him preach. I've uh, been in Anfield when he preached in Anfield a good number of years ago. Uh, but I've never met him. Uh, and I guess I'm probably never going to meet him personally. But one day I hope to see him in heaven. And that will be fantastic to be able to meet this man who has preached to so many millions of people, who has led so many people to Jesus. Heaven is going to be an amazing place, and it is our destination. And in the meantime, we have to concentrate on life here and the journey that God calls us on. And that probably what I should have read earlier on, but I'll just concentrate now on Philippians 3, verse 13 and 14. This is what Paul says. In in chapter 3 in Philippians, he states how he has no confidence in the flesh. He, he, he reminds people that he was someone who was greatly gifted in life, and he had a, a, a birth into a good family, a good tribe. He had a wonderful education. He had so many things going for him, but he was a man who said that all these things were like garbage in comparison to the saving grace of God and Christ. And he states that he has no confidence in the flesh. He says, there's nothing I can do, nothing I can be that will commend myself to God. I have no confidence. But he says, knowing Jesus is all there is about life, all that you need to know, and all that encompasses all that we want out of life. And then in chapter 3 and the second part of verse 13, he says this, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Now, I wasn't going to say this, but I want to just make a little comment. He says, forgetting what is behind. We gather around this table that reminds us of the grace of God in forgiving our sins. We remind ourselves of a God who says that when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We gather around the table of a God of grace who says, I choose to remember your sins no more. When you come to communion, forget what lies behind. Christ has dealt with it. Christ has borne the punishment we deserve. Christ has taken even our guilt, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what is ahead. This one thing I do, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ all my passion, all my heart, all my strength, my energy, and my desire is to be on that journey, says Paul. For I know that the winning post is Christ. I know that the winning post is heaven. I know that the prize that I will receive will be the well-done, good, and faithful servant when I meet Jesus face to face. So he strains to go on towards what he calls the upward call of God. So how do we focus for our new Christians, for our new members, for those who have been on the journey a long time, how do we actually focus on how we move on through that journey? I want to suggest a number of things to you this morning. Number one, we need Sunday fuel. 
Sunday fuel is a great thing. Uh, Hebrews 10 and verse 25. These are familiar words, I'm sure, to many of us, but this is what the writer to the Hebrews says. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's not stop coming to church. Because when we come, we encourage one another, we help one another, and it's a wonderful opportunity to bring that encouragement as we worship God together, as we share together in the things of Christ, and as we praise God and worship Him together. Sunday fuel is a great thing. Let's come and get filled up with Sunday fuel, not just for what we might hear from the front, but from encouraging one another and being together with each other. So that's the first thing. Number two is small groups. You will not get everything you need to grow as a Christian out of what happens from the pulpit on a Sunday. And we're going to encourage you to think about small groups today. And I'm going to invite Sally Irvine to come and speak to us now. And she's going to share with us something of her experience and benefit of a small group. Sally. Morning. Yes, as Ken said, um, I, I really um, am passionate about small groups. Um, I've been in Orangefield now just over 25 years, and for most of that time, I've been involved in a small group. I think it was called a, a fellowship group or a house group before that. Now, can I just say, if that switched some of you off, you may switch back on again. Because I'm really here to encourage you this morning to consider this. If you're not in a group already, and I think there's about 200 people in the church so far are in our small groups, I really want to encourage you to think about it this morning. Maybe you've tried it before and gave it up. Well, why not give it another go? For me personally, it's been um, a real blessing to be part of a small group and now to lead a small group. Um, it what got, it's what got me through personally whenever my mum uh, developed dementia and then subsequently died. It's what helped members of this group whenever um, a child has been seriously ill in hospital. And we've been able to just support them in prayer and see them through. Small groups are just an opportunity to meet together. The great thing is you don't have to have any qualifications. The great thing is that you don't have to have any special uh, features or any special worldly powers or else go, uh, be very spiritual. You just have to be yourself. And that's enough. In our group, we meet um, every fortnight on a Wednesday. Um, we would pray together, we would study God's word, we would have fellowship, cup of tea. We like to eat in our group. In fact, I think for most fellowship groups, you need to be able to enjoy food because we eat a lot. So this morning, I really want to encourage you to be part of that small group. Even last night, um, we had a member's daughter who was sick and needed emergency sur surgery. Now, we couldn't do an awful lot, but as a small group, we could pray. And sometimes that's enough. And other times it's just a matter of just helping us keep going on in the journey because um, the Christian life is just full of stuff and there's good times and there's bad times. Um, and being part of a small group allows you just to get that real support that you need to get through. So this morning, whenever you're going out to see John to get your Bible reading notes, why not come out and speak to John or myself and really seriously consider joining a small group? It's a decision I can assure you you won't regret. Thank you.
Thank you, Sally. And there'll be folks in the vestibule at the end who would be very happy to talk to you about the possibility of joining a group if you want to ask about that. Uh, so Sunday fuel is something that we need. We need small groups. Indeed, the early Christians, as they moved away from worshipping in the temple, met in homes, uh, and people like Lydia, Priscilla with her husband, Aquila, Nympha, Philemon, and others hosted Christians in their homes. Uh, and as they did so, the church grew as people became disciples of Jesus Christ. One of our development priorities in our vision document is to, and I quote from it, refresh and revise fellowship groups to broaden involvement. And so if you've uh, heard from Sally this morning something that will encourage you to think of small groups, then uh, I, I would say that's for you. Sunday fuel, small groups. The third thing that may help some are prayer partners. We welcome our uh, people to form uh, two or three friends together uh, into a prayer partner group. We recommend these are not mixed groups. So if you have two or three friends of the same gender and like to meet and support and pray for one another, that's another type of small group that will help you grow. Uh, and if you uh, decide to meet like that, please let myself or somebody like Joan Moore and the prayer team know. The fourth thing I think we need to help us in the journey is what I called when I was growing up a personal quiet time. Uh, and in that personal quiet time, you may do all of these elements or some of these elements, but I think all of these elements are useful. I think, first of all, obviously, read the Bible. Have a system. Uh, and John Jack reminded us for uh, this morning that we have a whole array of Bible reading notes and materials available. You can get notes to download as apps on your smartphone. You can do all sorts of things to help you read the Bible. Get a system. And then as we go through the Scriptures regularly, that will help us grow. Meditate. Take a verse of Scripture and chew it over slowly. Learn to be still and to see if God speaks into your life. Pray. And we use the formula ACTS, A-C-T-S, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and special requests or intercession. Perhaps you may want to journal uh, that each day as you read the Bible and pray and think you jot down a few thoughts about things you think God is saying. And it's amazing when you look back over the years or the months how God has been speaking and how he has been leading you through. Pray without ceasing. I'm a great believer in arrow prayers, that you see a situation, you see something, or you're going to meet someone, they're walking up a corridor of the street before you, and a little arrow prayer, Lord, help me just represent you with this person or in that situation today. Uh, admire what is around about you. Now, let me get a bit soppy here. You know, somebody challenged me recently, and I realized that I had been guilty of rushing around in the world, never stopping to look at the beauty around, the beauty of a sunset, the beauty of a tree coming into bloom, and then going through the autumn changes of colors. Has it never occurred to you to stop and just look and admire and think and say, Lord, we thank you for making a world of beauty. Pray at all times without ceasing. And the fifth thing I think we need this morning uh, in order to help us in our journey of discipleship 
is a real compassion and a desire to serve the Lord. Colossians 3 and verses 23 and 24. These are words I think all of us need to take into our work tomorrow morning, whether we go out to paid employment, whether we have uh, a job to do at home, uh, whatever we do, this is what Paul writes and encourages us. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. So when we're doing something menial, when we're doing something boring, doing something routine, work at it, says Paul, with all your heart as unto the Lord and not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And that's the inheritance we will have when we see Jesus face to face. He says it is the Lord Christ that you are serving. So if you're out recently on Sunday nights for the LICC course on the front line, it would have encouraged you to think about your front line, where you meet people. It could be at the school gate. It could be in a cafe. It could be at work. Wherever you meet people who do not know Jesus, that is your front line. And you and I are called to witness by who we are as much as by the things we say. And when we witness in the way that Paul encourages us with a desire to serve the Lord, doing everything as unto the Lord, then people will ask us about our faith in Jesus. So it's great to have new folks in communion this morning. Sunday fuel, small groups, prayer partners, personal quiet time, serve the Lord. Let us pray. Father, I ask that whatever you have led in our hearts this morning, in order that we should respond to your word, that you would help us not to go away and forget about, but to think through and decide what it is that we need to do. For some of us, it may be ordering Bible reading notes from John, for some, it may be asking about a small group and determining to become part of one. For others, it may be looking at how we walk with you daily and how we listen to your voice. But Father, whatever we need to respond with today, may we do so in Christ's name. Amen.